Hello, Hello, and welcome to the Tony Awards. Tony with an eye. The podcast where we go through the entire filmography of Tony Collette. I'm Sam. I'm Jake. And joining us today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Greg Suarez. Hey. Greg, how are you? Uh, it's good to be here. I'm doing well. Great. Uh, today's movie is Eight and a Half Women, which was released in 1999. It was written and directed by Peter Greenaway. And the uh, Google description of this movie says, After his wife dies, 55-year-old businessman Philip, at the prompting of his playboy son Story, populates his Geneva villa with eight and a half concubines. And <laughs> Google does not go into detail about what the half entails so i went to the wikipedia and the movie page. doesn't really either the movie doesn't either but i went to the wikipedia page and the wikipedia just explained it like they get the idea while they're watching a fellini movie mm -hmm. it's like oh everything makes perfect sense now it's weird because the one scene you actually see the Fellini movie and it's like really badly shot and I'm think I'm like this I get there watching the movie and this is a big influence on it but it's all like crooked and you it's kind of blurry and I'm we're gonna get into it. Is yeah. the Fellini movie actually about the plot of this? Greg, no. Please tell us what the Fellini movie. I have not. The, Fel the Fellini movie uh, Eight and a Half was Federico Fellini's. It um it's just called Eight and a Half because that just happened to be where he was in his career at the time. He had made. Uh, seven features and a short film, and then eight and a half is where oh. he was. When was this released? Uh, in the 60s. Mm. I don't remember the exact year, but it was partially an autobiographical film uh, about a director kind of struggling with his next work, wanting to say something and not being able to articulate what, and then you see a lot of parallels with the movie he's trying to craft, with what's going on in his own life, which includes lots of mistresses, lots of women being really predominant forces in his life, and at one point, there's a dream sequence where he imagines himself in this harem and he's like taming all the women who have been, you know, players in his lives. And it's weird, though, this movie, they just focus on that one scene and they're like, that's that's what we're going to do in life. Not the whole context of self-discovery and everything that Fellini kind of touches on, but they're like, we just want to we're just going to do the whores. That's how we're going to do it. You know I mean, what this reminds me of you talking about this movie? Uh I feel like the main characters in this movie are reminiscent of all those guys who watched Fight Club and didn't understand that it was like a commentary on toxic masculinity yeah. and mm -hmm. wanted to become Tyler Durden. Yeah, that absolutely. But also, I mean, they did have some self-discovery, I think. I think um, you can read the, older, the older, the dad's name, Philip. what was his? I, I, I just called him dad and son. Yeah, Philip, I think, does, and I think we'll get into where his discovery is and i think it's interesting because <laughs> the son is supposed to be a playboy also i didn't he just looked like harry potter because he just seemed like yeah like kind of like the family screw up but people yeah. knew we had first all right. of all in the first scene he looked about 14 years old and i couldn't even tell that it was also him in the next scene when yeah he i couldn't was, tell like, either i thought it was a different character bed with a woman what's his style supposed to be because in the first one he's just dressed like a dick with his okay I want to talk about the first scene real quick because yeah, it was a different movie it. than this. Yeah, than oh, the rest yeah. of the movie. Wait, yeah, it was... when you say first scene, do you mean opening credits? Yes. Or okay, the and opening into credits. the first scene yes. of the movie. What was going on? There was. Well, tell us what. Was okay. Going on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember. There's literally opening credits, and then there's like, which later became kind of a trope of the movie, like screenplay Just... laid over it, like what it was. And then also a lot of gambling noises and montages 
all laid over together. Yeah, essentially it's like a shot of a skyline with the entire cast in order of appearance. Mm -hmm. And then like a smaller screen opens up over the uh, skyline and it shows a bunch of gambling, uh, like a gambling montage. Yeah. And then it goes into the first scene of the movie, which is Very um, uh, like a young Japanese man realizing that he has to like sell his mother's um, something. Pachinkos? Pachinko. Pachinkos. Pachinko. His, yeah. Which is, which is like a casino arcade type yes. thing. Uh, or else he'll go to jail. Yeah. So he sells it to the dad and son, and he's, like, screaming and crying. And I think that he, like, slaps the dad, and the dad yeah. bleeds on the contract. And this is, is when I turned yeah. on subtitles. <laughs> could have used that. I had to switch off my air conditioning, like, periodically. Oh, me too. It's, yeah. yeah, I just couldn't It was I a very quiet movie. Yeah. And I didn't not know to if mention, it was most just... of it was gibber, like... Either he was mumbling in the Latin. son has like these mantras that I feel like he periodically repeats in situations, and those I didn't. When catch. he finds out his mom dies, and yeah. he just recites his own well, body parts. That I was tell it, yeah. you that the Latin, like in the subtitles that it gave me, was most. It would say a couple of the words, and then it would say, um, "undetermined." Oh, okay, <laughs> so it wasn't supposed. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um. So what happens is basically this father and son duo take away this uh, son, the, this young man's mom's pachinko, and they're very happy about it, and the guy is, like, crying, and they're just laughing. And then the next scene, uh, the dad finds out that his wife has died, uh -huh. and he calls his son, and he's like, your mom's dead, and the son's like, oh, fuck, and goes. There's, a, there's the first earthquake. Yeah, there's the first. There's a ton the of first, earthquakes yeah. throughout the movie. It's a reoccurring motif. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Things uh, just falling off of shelves, lights exploding. And we get like the one brief shot of the dad is about to kill himself yeah. with a power drill. So that was how they. That was kind of cool. That was one of the few jokes of the movie that worked for me. I I'm like, that, okay. Yeah. yeah, a lot of the. I mean, I don't know about the plot or anything, how much I like it, but the direction aesthetic choices worked for me there was for a couple part. that i was that i was cool with that one was yeah. pretty good the big swings Wa paid off watching this movie i was like i understand that this director is talented and yeah. um i have heard that he's made good movies besides this but boy is this one bad i think this one's actually known as his low point it's known as yeah it's his lowest rotten film on rotten tomatoes yeah. his lowest rotten you film. look up his top 10 movie this isn't usually not in there it's not the most <laughs> ripe of the tomatoes no uh so the son <laughs> essentially goes home to be with his father and they go to the mom's funeral and a lot of what a, a lot of the father's behavior in this reminds me of how apparently the way to determine whether somebody is a sociopath uh, is if they cry but no tears come out. A lot of the time when, oh. like, I'm sure you know this, Greg, like you're into true crime. Yeah. A lot of the time when a guy has, like, just killed his wife or, like, a mother has just killed her kids, they will make, like, the crying noises and they will, mm. like, throw themselves onto sofas and, like, have tantrums. But no tears will ever actually come out. And that reminds me of a lot of the grief that the father and son go through in this movie. They seem very, like, it, it, it's like the stage of grief that they're at is just anger and then uh, contentment. Yeah, I mean, but I, I don't think it ever, I mean, pushed. There was some really dark moments in this movie, but I don't think it was ever pushed over the line of, like, I feel like if they had felt real grief, 
the whole genre of the movie wouldn't have like yeah been a thing because it was all very like which I think is like hardest. Samuel yeah. Beckety. I think the dad's reasoning for ha- for his grief is still kind of ambiguous because mm. he mm. immediately starts talking about he telling his son, "Oh, you were conceived in this bed," and you get the sense that there was something with his wife that he appreciated, but there's a lot of disappointment when he talks about like the sexual relationship and he's talks about his wife being a corpse and kind of just not being yeah. active. Yeah, and you get a sense that I feel like there was something he appreciated, but at the same time, he feels like he missed out on a lot by. Having that, you know, this marriage with her that I guess he felt like was kind of a void. Yeah, from the beginning. Because she wasn't a harem. Yeah. From the beginning. She wasn't a whole house full of, like, uh, yeah, she was not a harem. Yeah. <laughs> from the beginning, the relationship between the father and son is very distressingly sexual. Uh, yep. From the minute the son <laughs> arrives at home, uh, as, as Greg said, the dad points to the bed and he's like, you were conceived in that bed and your mother was asleep. Which is distressing, and it, then they spoon naked in bed and go well, to sleep together. Well, yeah, there's they a keep taking all of their clothes off. They keep talking all their clothes off the and movie. talking. There's about a their surprising dicks. amount of like, but like, I get that they're both like having grief and they decide to do the harem thing. But there was a lot of like back and forth, almost like romantic comedy esque energy between the father and the son talking about their pricks. Where I'm like. Can we get to them just building the harem? This has taken a while. It was. It took very a long weird. This is really time. flirty. And then they even kind of lampshaded. They talk about like, he's like, "What is? You always hear about wanting to sleep with your mother, but what about your father? What is a what is the word for that?" And I'm just like screaming, like writing Oedipus down and my it, notes, and I'm just yeah. like, "Can this be over?" I at that point I was like, even if like incest wasn't like one of the most frowned upon things in society, there are so many reasons I wouldn't sleep with my dad. Like he snores, he watches like awful golf documentaries as he's falling asleep. So you're talking just about you wouldn't fall asleep with your dad, well, but well, do you have no. a single reason to not fuck your dad? I, I there's a couple, but like really even him, want... like personally, like he's. He's, really? a, he's been through chemo. He's been through enough. He doesn't need me getting in there. I really just wanted to get through this podcast without you saying fuck your dad. Today, There's no but way. I knew but we like, couldn't. So, just... and here, so uh, on an actual note, what I was thinking was like, who do you feel like in the relationship started the circle of like the weird sexual I thing? I was wondering that. Because, I have a note about that. Yeah, because the son that... says you're the one who started it by, I don't remember what situation he alludes to, but he says that the I father. I think he says was... that the father started it by fucking to conceive him. Yeah, that's what he meant. Which, but that isn't that what every parent does? And yeah, they don't so, know. The, so the son's the son is shit. the one who takes off all of his clothes in the mirror. There's there's a pattern of the son initiating a bunch of times, but then like, I, I wish that I could go back not and watch the movie again, but just like read the script to find out who the first person was to mention their dick or something, because. Yeah. Because I feel like I wrote during the movie that the son is initiating. Um, I really think it might have been the dad with the you were conceived in that bed line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and But then the when they're like, there's some line where the son says, I'll always be nearer to you than your wife was. Oh, my God. And then they, it's and, so weird that and he's like your spoon, wife. Yeah, and, not... and then they spoon naked like right after. So essentially the son is taking on his mother's role. Which is very like Sam Shepard, Sam. Beckett. I just think that this whole thing was really just supposed to be 
a metaphor for something I don't want to understand. And they quickly move on. Well, they don't move on from it ever. No, but, it takes a while, actually. But they like, have, yeah. like, eventually it, there's other elements oh. at play. And it becomes more, I think, about him wanting to learn from his father. No, there's um, definitely sexually. a little bit of that. I think some of it is the son is try, has, like, this admiration for his father that, again, is kind of ambiguous. And he's like uses this weird, like, oh, let's talk about our pricks mentality to kind of, like, get closer to him. But I think the father is the one that, throughout the movie that we'll get to, ends up actually kind of making the journey and actually grows a little bit. I just want to lay out the plot of this movie really quick, just to be completely clear about it. Uh, As clear as it can be. Like, a man's wife... a, A woman dies. Her husband summons their son home... The husband and son immediately get naked and start sleeping in the same bed. And then the son has his father fuck the son's girlfriend or like the son and the girlfriend. Basically, what happens a little bit later on is the son brings his girlfriend over. And then there's a shot of the son, the girlfriend and the father all naked getting into the same bed. And the son says something along the lines of like, are you ready? And then it fades to black. And then the dad and the son decide to start a harem which they go about not by employing like independent sex workers but by extorting random women because they don't like it when the women consent no and it's funny because a lot of the descriptions say oh they just pick women that entered by their own accord and then i think in roger ebert's review he actually says like well the consent part is kind of Murky. Wobbly, yeah. Roger Ebert also gave it three out of four stars. He didn't seem like super... It's one of the movies that you're like, oh, he liked enough, but you read it. He doesn't seem like super enthusiastic he, about it. I, I want to read a quote from Roger Ebert's <laughs> review. He says, It is not possible to like this film, although one admires it and is intrigued. Okay. Uh, I was none up. of those things. I mean, I was in... I was intrigued at the at 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 first, but then after a while, yeah. I was like, "This is too slow." It and then near the end, long. I was like, "This is too rapey." Yeah, what, I wish it e- was like a thirty-minute movie. Ebert also says in the review that I think is interesting is he says that he noticed parallels between the father and the one time he had met Peter Greenaway. He's like, I fir- at first I didn't really understand, you know, kind of his point of view. He's like, and then I met him, and he kind of talks like a lecturer. He's very like to the point, but he's also like kind of grumpy and a little bit mischievous. Yeah, I kind of liked the dialogue. I thought the dialogue was one of the most interesting parts. There for were me. parts that were okay. Yeah, we'll get. I it. wrote down some notes, especially about that with yeah. the sure. with some of the ladies. I liked when he said all the nar- all this narcissism is rather boring, isn't it? I f- I feel like that was a very like oh, statement. My of the favorite movie. line that the father said is when he says that he doesn't like going to the movies. He says, I hate sitting in the dark with strangers, not talking, and being expected to go through the same emotional journey, which is something (laughs) that a sociopath would say. Well, I feel like a lot of the stuff he (laughs) says about movies and art, where he's like, art's supposed to come for you, I think that's... I feel like there was a lot of Peter Greenaway coming out. I feel like any of the the things the father says about movies, I'm like, those are almost too out of left field. I feel like... (laughs) There's some statement also about, like, art going on here, because the whole thing is that, like, oh, no, sex and the random women will make you feel better, but art doesn't work. They have a conversation about that, too, when they're at the museum, and the father's like, oh, art's supposed to come for you. Who's that athlete who um, has, like, a small role in the movie Airplane? Uh, Will Chamberlain. Okay, there is, like, some moment where... The, and it's like a joke. In Where the, the kid's movie. like, the yeah, kid my dad says talking. you're not that, yeah. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. well, why don't you tell your, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. They just break off to start. That is Peter Greenaway having himself come through, yeah. through the father in this movie. Yeah. I want to talk about 
the women. Yeah. There's because, not much to talk about. Well, there are. They are the most interesting characters. They are, and they're they don't... still not given a whole lot to do. No, yeah. do but anything? I do think that. Well, a couple of them are. I really did enjoy the Japanese women a lot. Yeah, like um, Kito. Uh, she's in the very first scene. She's like their manager. Oh, she's the or translator. She becomes their translator. Yeah. She was a manager of like I think the pachinkos though. Yeah. Yeah. And she was just like weirdly like so dry and just like. I don't know. I just liked her the whole time. I liked her because she seems like the one person who, one, seems kind of like grounded in reality, but is kind of used to the father and son's weird dynamic. Yeah. She kind of grounds the whole thing a little bit more because that's what I was thinking where the whole like minimalist approach didn't really work for me where I'm like, do the father and son have like regular friends who at some point were having a conversation and the dad's like, yeah, me and my son slept together last night. It was nice. And the friend's like, oh, okay. That's not like a thing that you normally do, but okay. Yeah. But see, yeah. she, see, she seemed like this wasn't like her first time like, Okay, these two are a little eccentric. Like, she kind of knew what was going on. Yeah, and then, like, she introduces them to, um, what's her face? Um, his girlfriend. Yeah. Samito, I think? Yeah. I have the names right here. Yeah, Samato. And she was fun, too. She was, like, the first one. And she has this big speech later on the staircase where she, like, makes a, like, pronouncement about how she wants to leave. And I oh, appreciated yeah, that scene. Oh, yeah, but then, like, also her introduction was literally a scene from a porno. Yeah. When she's translating for her and she's like, she's like I want to. She says that she's just a dumb little whore and you should take her up to your room and do whatever you want with her. Like, yeah. There's no shame. Yeah. This but way there's no she, shame. Yeah. Right after that kind of lets go of that though. And then yeah. they're like sumo wrestling and chill. Like, the sumo wrestling thing <laughs> struck, uh, stuck out to me because I feel like the father was describing his father's body again during one of their weird sexual mm-hmm. discussions. And then I feel like the sumo wrestlers, the father's looking at it. When he starts to get the idea of being involved with the ladies, too. And then I feel like that was a callback to him talking about how his father's body is shaped as, like, a part of, like, the second oh, sexual yeah. reawakening that and he's having. And then start, like, just, like, start trying to have sex, like, right in front of... And he's like, do you have to be Japanese to do a doggy style? And I'm just like, what's going on? And then he's like, I don't want your mother's... What is it? Discriminations or anything? He's like, air out. Prejudice, yeah. yeah, air it out. <laughs> I just, like, was very... I was wary going into it of the treatment of the Japanese um, characters in this movie. Yeah. But I think for the most part, it was fine. I kind of, not fine, but like, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of like. It's a thing where I was wondering. The, yeah. The drag, the kabuki thing was a little weird. Yeah. If it's like kind of. Go on, Sam. Yeah. Go. I also just want to like emphasize the fact that this is a movie about sex trafficking. That's true. It's a dramedy Purely. about not sex tra- sex traffickers. Uh-huh. The protagonists, the ones who we follow throughout their journey, are men who I don't even think that we're supposed to sympathize with them. No. We're not supposed to be rooting for them. But it seems like we're supposed to we are supposed to think that they're smart. Because they yeah. are like saying all these poetic things. They're supposed things. to be like enlightened and like yeah. sexually liberated. I feel that's why this stuff with the son didn't really work for me. Because I feel like you are supposed to like kind of like him, and he was the character you're. I feel like you're most irritated with, right. like right at the beginning. The father, even though the whole concept is still kind of fucked up, like there are parts where you're like, okay, I can kind of see why a certain audience member would root for the dad. Yeah, but if you're gonna. Yeah, if you're going to make a movie that's supposedly one of the themes is, like, sexual liberation, then why would you be from the perspective of two, like, straight white men? Well, I feel like 
I feel like the way they kind of appropriate Japanese culture also kind of parallels the way they approach women and relationships. Mm, like, true. it's um, like they're definitely they don't really go into detail with their business, but yeah, they are, they take over the Japanese guy's business in the beginning. They look at the Kabuki theater as very just like from like a very like Orientalist perspective. That's I don't terrible. think they have like yeah. a lot of like depth of understanding. They're just like this is yeah. pretty. Let's take. Let's t- scoop up these folks. They're so... Let's scoop up these parts of the culture that yeah. we like. Yeah. There is such a separation between the father and the son and Japanese culture, between the father and the son and women as a whole, uh-huh. where it's like the only the only consideration that they ever have for what the women want or for like what the people of Tokyo want, the, the entire population of Tokyo wants, uh, is like... If these women want to be a part of my harem, then that's less sexy to me. Right. Mm-hmm. There's that scene with the two maids where they're talking about. Oh my like, god! Oh, Hilarious like... accents, though. That was one of the funnier scenes. It they're was just like cleaning the pool. It was, but they're just like cleaning the pool, and she's just like listing all of these things that like they make their women do. They're like, yeah, they make you like crawl on the floor and like eat food from the ground, and like they put nipple clamps on you, all this stuff, and then she's like. I asked them if I could be a part of it, and I auditioned, but I was enjoying it too much, and they didn't like it. Oh, yeah. That whole scene, the way it's kind of just, like, shot head on and just goes on for really long, I don't know if it was, like, supposed to be alienating. I feel like the way... it was. It was, yeah, it was handled. And what's... We haven't mentioned is they don't show any of the sex scenes to be clear. No. Like, yeah, there's you no, see like the prelude to it. There's full frontal nudity, yeah. but there's no sex scenes. You don't see any and actual sex going on. there's more full frontal male nudity as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's also it's like theater of cruelty. It is. I don't it's exactly very theater of that cruelty. Means, but yeah. that's definitely what it it's is. It's very. I wrote in my notes that it's like, like this movie got like bad reviews, but if it were like a Pinter play, people yeah. would love it. I feel like with I feel like Same it's with a trend. Gold mine, I think. Yeah, I feel like it's a trend in theater specifically with straight plays written by straight male playwrights like Harold Pinter, Sam Shepard, stuff yeah. like that. Where if a play is bad. People think that it's on purpose and they think that it's genius in a way that yeah. isn't usually extended to film. That's true. I feel and like I with do film, it's like. the film for being like artistically like risky. Yeah. Whether it's not. Like, and at I least do, this movie looked interesting. And I do commend the movie for like, at least, at least they didn't keep the incest thing subtle. You know, I feel yeah, it. I feel like in a different worse. movie, there just would have been like ever so subtle, like incestuous undertones. But with this, they go like they really take the incest as far as it can possibly go. And I think that that is in most situations the better choice. Probably. If I can. Uh, Game of Thrones does it and they won a bunch of Emmys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of anything else. Let's talk it. about uh, the other. Let's talk about Tony Collette. Let's talk about Tony Collette. Talk she about a scene like stealer. A former nun. She's, yep. Okay. Who actually, now works at a bank. Is she actually a former nun, or did they tell her the nun kink? No, she's she a former nun. They it. they found her at a bank, and they were like, she used to be a nun. Uh, now okay. she works the at a bank. The father already knew her whole backstory. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then they took her, and they were like, uh, she has her haircut from the end of Diana and Me. Yes. Um. <laughs> But no, she has this like insane like Romanian like they don't Some, know her Some like Norwegian they Swedish never accent. They never say exactly on purpose. Tony mm-hmm. Collette has done so many accents in her time Already. on this earth. In the 90s. 
in the 90s alone she's australian american she's american she's She's english and she's this she's 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 whatever the fuck this i can't even do an impression of it It swedish it was just like it was just like what did she even say? She did. The, she did like a weird, like liquid you thing. Uh huh. I think I wrote one of like... her accent, one of her lines down, but I don't. So the son suggests exploiting her because she needs another loan, and then he, and they kind of like gloss over actually the process when they pull the woman in. They kind of give like each woman a bit of dialogue back and forth with the father yeah. and son, and but you not get her really. Yeah, you get the sense of how they're exploiting like each one, and then they're just kind of in. Jake, can you say a line from Muriel's wedding in Tony's Norwegian accent for this movie? Oh, okay. Um, We're made. That's exactly how she sounds in this movie. She also has the most nudity of um, any of the women, I feel. Uh, Definitely. And I wonder why. She was like the most famous. Well, her and their favorite girl, the British one who never sleeps Mm. with the sun, she's naked a lot, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, Palmyra. Yeah. Okay, I really liked her acting. Palmyra is um, Jane Fairfax from Emma. Oh, I saw what else she was in, yeah. Uh What? Yeah. Jane Fairfax was so boring, though. I know. Speaking of, the father and the son have this scene where they have this conversation over what literary figures they'd like to fuck the women from. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. And the father's really into Jane Austen. So interesting. He he says Jane Austen women. Long suffering, beautiful, universe. right in the end. I think I now believe in the Tony Clett multiverse. I could definitely see Tony Collette's character from Hereditary freaking out after she had been through whatever she was in this movie. Oh my god! The, oh years my later, god. yeah. Have you seen the theory of the Michael Sarah multiverse? Oh lord! No. Is no. that every time you watch a? Okay, the theory is that every day Michael Sarah wakes up in a different movie, and whenever you watch any Michael Sarah performance in any movie. It's just him, like trying to put the pieces together of what movie. Oh, he's and that's in. why his demeanor is just kind of like, <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. Oh my god! And then there's the new, there's the multi, the Meryl Streep multiverse with Big Little Lies and Mamma Mia, oh because um, Alexander Skarsgård's her son in Big Little Lies, but in Mamma Mia, uh, Alexander Skarsgård's dad is one of the suitors. Oh my god! So. That's crazy. I mean, I don't really that like that crossover. That would be a crossover. very sad ending <laughs> yeah, to Mamma Mia. It really would. Maybe she didn't actually die. She just turned Season into Season three, Amanda crazy... Seyfried comes in as Peter Skarsgård's uh, sister. And she's like, personally, I think my brother was fucked up. I don't and really I'm want okay Amanda with... Seyfried on Big Little Lies. Oh, I... D- do. Who should be I, in season three? I'm a big fan. I'm a fan. I've never seen Big Little Lies, but I had a crush on Amanda Seyfried, so I'm Weird. good with it. Who should be in season three? Of Big Little Lies. Let's ask our listeners. Not the guy who played the son in this movie. He was the worst. Okay, I so see you're trying to rein it back in. Dominic West. I, no, he he just bothered me so much. And he hasn't done a whole lot of other stuff. The father was in a bunch I of movies. I thought, I thought that he before, really though. looked like a, I thought that he looked like Callum Blue. That was who was on Dead Like Me. He looked and he like, was uh um, he was in Radcliffe Princess Diaries. Was he too. supposed to be like a his persona was like a little like screwed up and was supposed to be that he doesn't really fit the Playboy persona? He looked like an incel. I was gonna say, but do you think that was intentional or do you think that was just stupid I casting? I don't know, because in like, I feel like we're in supposed like to the like second him. Scene, he wakes up in bed with like a random woman. Oh, uh, yeah. And he like flirts with that woman at the at, at the beginning. At the Pachinko, yeah. But um know. what's her face? The 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 girl who's everyone's favorite, I keep forgetting her name, the British Palmyra. girl. Yeah, she wants Palmyra. nothing to do with him. And I think that like says something is that she's yeah. 
And she says to him, she's like, you don't have anything to offer me. She's like, your dad's body is so much better than yours. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the funnier scenes, too. Oh, and then she has this, um, her boyfriend is like, the only white woman in the world who I want to undress, is what he calls her. Yes. That was that was a lot to take in, that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. I also- That, I do to... have to ad- admit, Palmyra just so, like, normally talking about- Sex in the scene where he meet where she meets the son at the party. Oh my god! I want to draw a comparison between that and Sex in the City because yeah. I feel like Sex in the City is how women actually talk about sex, and Palmyra in this movie is how men think women talk about sex. Oh, where they're she, like meeting where at Palmyra, the opera, and she's like, hey. Palmyra is just like. He makes me big f- beg for his big black cock. I don't know what accent that she was. She goes, that, that was I can't do yeah. any accent. He can undress me. In Anywhere in the world he likes, and we do it all the time. Yeah, and in Sex in the City, it's just like is that wants... how they talk about sex in real life? Women, they. <laughs> in uh, sex it in the kind city? of is. Like, I mean, you've seen me talk about sex in real life, and but you're not like a Samantha. I'm not you a have... Samantha. Do I'm you a Carrie. Like, have to discuss... Is the like... oh well, Pal- Palmetto? Which character is Sex in the City character? Would she be Samantha? Samantha. Samantha? Okay, cool. Yeah, and I'm not super. But I'm, that was my that Tony was would be Charlotte. Yes, <laughs> maybe. Um, we always do this, but we can't even draw comparisons between the women in this movie so and the characters in Sex in the City because they don't do it. The enough. women in this movie are literal victims of sex trafficking. Can we talk about the horse? The horse lady. Oh, oh yeah, my God, Amanda Plummer. I that love her. Like a She's actually so good. She was in The Hunger Games. <laughs> she's she's a very <laughs> which one's talent- Amanda Plummer. She's a very talented actress. Yes, okay, yeah. She's a very talented actress, but the character they literally trap. Yes. They they like catch the, her on a horse, bring her to the well, hospital after she falls. I want to talk about falls. her backstory a little bit. So they find her in full like Jane Austen horse riding regalia. Yeah. Riding a horse, she's she's apparently ridden all the way from Saudi Arabia, um, and then she just falls off of it. Is in a full neck and back brace for like most of the movie. And she's in, like, is in a, a relationship with and, like, a gigantic paralyzed. pig. And it's played off. She fucks her pig, and it's played off as a joke. Her injuries are played off like a joke, too. Her it's, injuries are played off like a joke. The way it's framed is supposed, like, supposed to be funny. And they go to the hospital, and they're just like, haha, we're going to report you to the police for stealing that horse unless you come join our sex cult. Yeah. It's literally like in cartoons when you see a character get beat up and they're wearing a full body cast. That's it the way she's framed and shit. Like and some Tex Avery shit. It, yeah. and, and it's so, it's like with every step that these characters take, I'm, I'm just like, how can we ethically like create a dramedy about the subjugation of women and make it about the man's emotional development? It's, well, it's like weird it's like cause... these women are are literally it's like we're just sacrificing yeah. eight and a half women and it turns out at the end the half woman is just like a woman in a wheelchair. Well, and if... she's the half woman. I feel like you could actually still explore like the men's like journey in a way that people would still get on board with if there was just a little bit back and forth. Like between each woman they pulled the sex cult, maybe the father son is like, "Oh, maybe She's physically broken and she's fucking a pig. Maybe not this one. The other one's like, if there was a little back and forth between like each woman, a little bit debate, I would be like, okay, I can kind of get think at the invested point in this. That she was introduced, the movie had already gone so far into like absurdism that I was just kind of like not even thinking about the plot. It made no sense already. It was it was just I feel like a bunch of vague symbolism. And then like by the time they move into the house, they are all there and just like. 
The pacing the of this movie is an absolute mess. It's a, so short. And it hits a lot of the same beats, I feel. Oh, like and every, then what yeah. about the woman yeah. who keeps having babies and then apparently they're giving her abortions? Well, that one... That that woman I like because when you mm. f- first meet her and the son, like the son still is a piece of shit throughout this whole she's thing. She's like what, like Italian? Giacomo. She's like, yeah. she's like people think that I am unethical. He's like, what do you mean? She goes, I like having babies. She's like, well, but they, they, she she charges for the baby, and she's yeah. probably the most like Fellini esque yeah. character in this. And why is her role so small? And that's why I was disappointed because, again, like the son's a piece of shit throughout this whole thing, but she seems like the one the son has like the most actual chemistry with. And yeah. the first time they're together, you're still not on board with it, but you're like, oh, there's there's kind of a connection. There's some energy here. And then she kind of does it almost like fades to the background for well, the rest of it. I think they imply that they like gave her an abortion because remember when, when the dad was covered in blood? And he says something about her innards. Is that, yeah, is that her horrible. that she was and talking about? And then later when she, they decide to ship her away, the son is like, I'm tired of poking around – in with pins inside of her or something. Oh, so, um, so maybe okay. The chat's fucked up. So, but yeah. that's what I'm saying is like yeah. there's literally no like logic or morality apply applicable to this film at all. Yeah, and I'm not excusing it, but I'm just saying I feel like each choice is such a strange, such an unexpected it's one. Like, that it's like I feel like what's the morality? I feel here? Like there is none. I, I feel like Peter Greenaway, who wrote and directed this film, so he's fully culpable, um, <laughs> thought that it would be, like, interesting on an intellectual level. Right. I think that this movie kind of revealed that he's more similar to the father than we would like him to be because it felt the the theme of alienation between the audience and what's going on on screen and the theme of alienation between the father and son and the women doesn't really like serve the 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 content of no. what's going on. It's too serious and it's too like like it's like it's not funny to have a woman take out a loan and then use it to extort her into being your sex slave. Yeah, it's not funny. I don't feel like it's set up enough of it's set up like a like a joke like a setup and a punchline. It's punch not even line set up like a joke. I only thought be, that yeah. I only knew that this was supposed to be a comedy because Google said so. I, I wonder, what they were all thinking about in Every, these scenes. The actors. Yeah, Tony and like all these know. amazing actresses as well. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't think it's like as exploitative of a um, film, say, as like Lillian's story. Where oh, that's yeah. a very realistic plot. It's very grounded in realism. It, and it, it's it just betrays truly, the audience on a deeper level because yeah, it makes you feel movie, connected to the material. I never and really then... felt betrayed by this movie just because from the get-go it was so insane and psychotic. Well, there's one yeah. section where I kind of – and the reason I was like thinking like – because what, it, what it, you can say about this movie is there's lots of parts where I was like, is the director like in on the joke? Is he aware of this or is he not aware where I think – and he's just kind of making stupid uh-huh. statements. And the reason I feel like he is a little bit dumb in this situation is, like, the few, like, moments that you would say are, like, kind of, like, progressive or feminine, or the two, um, the two speeches that the favorite, I keep, I, this is, like, the third time I screwed up her Palmyra. name. Palmyra. Palmyra. She has, like, two speeches where she's, like, women are the most loved, and blah, blah, and she has, like, two really good monologues, and both of them are filmed so badly. Yeah. They're just, like, weird close-ups of her face, and I feel like... Peter Greenway was not super interested in the scenes where she actually says some stuff that makes sense. Yeah. And he's like, all right, this is fine. Let's get back to these two, you know, fun-loving guys talking about their cocks. There was more 
care taken yeah. for the father's sons. Yeah, than yeah. any of the. But that could have been a commentary as well. I mean, I think I don't want to like, give him that much credit, what? but I do think no, that it's it's definitely possible. But from a lot of cock talk and less from just yeah. like the way it was handled, my impression didn't seem that like like it was intentional. I did like that scene. I forgot about that when she was doing the monologue. Um, like she was just fully naked in a lawn chair and I, all the other women and they were just by themselves and they were all sitting out in the lawn and like Tony's got her habit on and it's just and like also, so bizarre. There's not a lot of scenes between the women. No. Which you feel no like would be test. which would there's be there's no Bechtel test. Which you feel like this would pa- should pass without any problem, but no, the, they don't really talk to each other. I yeah. do appreciate the end game for well, so basically as to wrap up the plot really quick, all the women eventually like Fade out. somehow. The kabuki girl kills herself after the dad does kabuki, tries to seduce her, and then she starts screaming and crying because he's not a woman. And then it's like, <sighs> oh, fuck. Did they bring a lesbian into sex slavery? Well, she wants to be more she of a woman She wants to be more of a woman, the but, then, kabuki, but like, then when the dad is about to fuck her, she's like, I wish you were a woman. He also is doing and kabuki then, in a scene right after he tries to do blackface. Just laying that out yeah, there real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that so, is the same scene Palmetta's like, I want to get fucked in the ass with a tennis racket. She's like, uh, get that off your skin in six and a half minutes and have sex with me. Yeah, so then the kabuki girl kills herself Mm -hmm. and upon seeing her dead body there's like a fly on her face and one of them just goes she looks more beautiful now than ever oh and then the dad just starts talking about her vagina yeah oh and i forgot about that oh and then the dad casually goes to prison rather than be overshadowed by palmyra clotilde is the maid who actually really liked i thought she was the most straight up traditional like yeah this kind of story character like the yeah, weird maid and she like had a line where she's like i just want to wear all of the the dead wife's hats in bed oh yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah that was my and she but, gives him a bunch of money when she leaves because they get the reward yeah dollar bills oh out yeah. of the car uh the dad casually suggests that they kill tony collette's character for some reason and then because they... she's too much of a nun or something yeah because she's too much of a nun and then she just vanishes she just vanishes Joins well runs it's away. it's annoying because i feel like what would have potentially been my tony moment the best scene is he talks about how the sex with tony keeps getting more escalated and it keeps playing into the role-playing stuff with her being a nun and everything yeah. And he's like, it keeps. T- I'm like, that would have been actually kind of a funny sex scene to see, where she keeps being yeah. really forceful about playing that stuff out. But she doesn't get to actually have that moment. You just hear about it in no. conversation. She yeah. has a very small role. Okay, are we ready to move on to awards? Oh wait, at the end, the, the dad, dad dies, dies. <laughs> and that's it. And Palmyra, um, is very. Uh, she she okay she she just leaves with. Uh, he, she he dies while she's like. Giving him a hand job. That's the only scene that I even honest to God skips that scene. Approaches any eroticism in the movie. Nothing yeah. in this movie is sexy. That's the only one. Not even sex, but you're just like, oh, she actually. You find out she kind of cares about the dad in a weird way. Right after he dies, she says, "I love you too." And I feel like that's what the movie's tricking you to be like. Aha! You're rooting for this old man to get a hand job. <laughs> like, I, you, there's you almost get emotionally invested in that scene, and I feel like that's like the whole. That's the Punch most like, yeah. normal scene, except for that the son's like literally looking through the keyhole at them. But yeah. Okay, let's move on to awards. <laughs> Here worst. at the Tony Awards, we give three <laughs> awards to each movie. The first one being best prop. Greg, what was your best prop? I said the machines were the best prop, even though that's more of a setting set piece. The machines? The, the gambling machines. What are they oh, called? Oh, that's true. That was yeah. it. I said those are the most fun. They look fun. Everything, nothing else in this movie they looks fun. They were the most fun. committed. I was going to say the screen that Eight and a Half was projected on 
But that's like I said, that scene was so shittily filmed. I'm like, you don't get any credit for this screen. <laughs> Jake, what about you? Um, I said uh, the penises. <laughs> you know, I knew that was gonna come up, but yeah. Well, I really liked when, uh, at the end, when um, uh, Kito and Simato uh, made them like strip and sign over their pachinkos to them. That oh, was yeah. very empowering. If we had seen the tennis racket that Paul met gets fucked in the ass with, I would have said that. That but counts. We don't. See, yeah. Uh, my favorite prop was when the debt collectors come to get Palmyra. There happened to be some milkshakes in the kitchen, and they looked really, really good. Oh, and then Clotilde poisons one of them, and then the pig dies because of that. Let's touch on that real quick. Um, Poison milkshake even... was my best prop. Because <laughs> I don't remember Paul Thomas Anderson ever citing Peter Greenaway as an influence, but there's two things in here. One, there, she says, I drink your milkshake, which is the line from There Will Be Blood. Yeah. And the dad keeps singing the Slow Boat to China song, which is in The Master. And, and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman sings that to Joaquin Phoenix. Oh. And I feel like those are two really yeah. specific things that both turn up in P.T. Anderson's movies. The milkshakes is a good point. I was going to say imagine, that. Can you imagine Paul Thomas Anderson being like, let me draw influence from my favorite Peter Greenaway film, Eight and a Half Women. He does, He does. Um, for I like mean, an, an acclaimed director, he likes some really weird choice. Like he's, a, he's a legit a big fan of Adam Sandler movies, so there's probably some weird shit that he draws Did from. I enjoy this a little bit more than Phantom Thread? Yeah, I kind of did. The only P.T. Anderson movie I've ever seen um, was a Fiona Apple music video. I've only Which one? With this? Uh, there, I've, I've seen Paper Bag and He uh, also Knife, directed Haim's which, video for Little of Your Love. I think he... Okay, let's move on to best Tony moment. Uh, I'm going to say mine first because I'm afraid you guys will like steal two. it. Yeah, it's when she's naked and does the sign of the cross. Yeah, I mean, she only has like a hip. It's the, she does like the sexual mass yeah. or whatever and I really like... There's a brief scene where she's like scrubbing the dad's feet or something... Yeah. And well, then, you can't name uh, every Tony moment because oh, yeah, Jake yeah. hasn't gone yet. There's two, and then you, yeah. So what's yours? That mine's the Nate, where she's naked and she has the candles. Even though I feel like that is badly shot too, where it's like, oh, she does like um, a sexy mass. I'm gonna do the same one. Yeah, uh, but it's also I'm gonna do the beginning of it when she's walking down the dark hallway, um, and she's wearing this giant habit and it's got a, like a hoop skirt attached to it, and then she just takes it off, and it's she's just wearing like. Nothing except the hoop skirt and her habit, and she takes it off, and then she is like, "I love Jesus and sex." What's well, cool? She's introduced <laughs> in like a weirdly like Wes Andersony way. Like she gets like this almost little montage of, kind of yeah, like day to day things. Yeah, yeah. The Tony moments. Do you like make your proud? That was me doing Tony Collette's line from The Sixth Sense in her accent from this movie. <laughs> um, okay. I am your mother. <laughs> I thought I was better. I thought I was better. I cannot wait. That's her Bye. best line from the United States. From every, from anything she's been in. Oh okay. My, uh, my name is Book, and I will feel you sideways. <laughs> Princess Diana is Jesus Christ. Which one is this from? All of them. Okay, cool. We're just doing a little montage. All right. Like for our listeners who are still listening. Better than the movie. Yeah. Okay, uh, custom award, Jake. Oh, Jesus. Um, what did I write down? No, I have to go last. I'm sorry. Okay, Greg. <laughs> it was going to be one of the Kabuki costumes, but I feel like it's the outfit. Who's the Which girl Rob uh, basically makes him sign over the casino at the end when she has the gun? Who, which uh, one is Samato. it? It's the outfit that she has on. The both. Of, okay, yeah. 
the thing that she's wearing when she points the gun at them and she's like, just hand us over the casino and the guys do it. That's my favorite costume. Oh, that's your costume. Okay, yeah. Great. Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> no. Custom, oh, custom award. award. But you know what? Why did I say co- Okay. That I was high be, when I That just... can be. That no, can be best uh, my cost- favorite custom award, <laughs> if you guys like that, is even... Uh, is even... My favorite custom award is. Did you just come up with that like on the spot also? Because what? I, because I didn't when I when I sent you the message, I didn't say like come in with an award for costumes. No, you. I th- I was uh, doing it when I was high, and I first saw custom, and I thought costumes. Oh. So I had that written down as well. <laughs> oh, but, you know what? No, custom award I do have because it's my favorite pronunciation of either the father or son saying cock because it happens so many times. Yeah. And prick. And my favorite, or just talking, just talking about their dicks. But my favorite one is when the dad—I don't remember—it's after they're fucking one of the women, and the son's like, "Maybe your prick isn't clean or something." He's like, "My p- prick has been cleaned so much more than like any." It's not even a good metaphor. He's like, "More than like a rag in the sink." I'm like, "Man, I'm like they're really leaning into this." <laughs> okay, my custom award was longest movie. Yeah, I would. <laughs> okay, we have reached. Wait, I didn't do one. Oh, right. <laughs> My custom award is the HBO slash Showtime slash College Theater Award for most nudity for no reason. This feels like every like community college theater professor's take on everything relationships, but it's just about men. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. So uh, now that we've reached the end of our podcast, we're going to link to everybody's Twitters and Instagrams in the show notes. But before we go, Greg, do you have anything to plug? Uh, no, nothing right now. Uh, hopefully I'll have something off the ground next time. Nice. Oh, wait, Sam. We... My segment. Oh, my God. Yes. Okay, Jake has a segment that we introduced <laughs> a couple weeks ago, and I forgot that it existed. It, oh, you were going to say, oh, uh, it is, is this movie better than Clock Watchers? The answer is no. All right, thank you, everyone. <laughs> Okay, let's all sign off by uh, listing our favorite word for a genital. One, two, three, genital. Oh, (laughs) I'm lost in thought. I don't, I don't have one for. Lost in thought. Lost in thought. T H O T. Title of Greg's penis. (laughs) Good night. Bye.